Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Yo, yo, yo. Hey. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations. My name is Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. And we're here and we're back in effect another week. It is the second week of Black History Month. How are you holding up and celebrating? I'm good. So one way I'm celebrating is um, posting. So the full archives of the Black Panther newspaper are available online. And so I've been posting just pages of it, you know, with the ones with, like, cool visuals as well as, like, descriptions of what they contain. So today, you know, I posted the Black Panther 10-point program. A couple days ago, I posted about um, Huey Newton, um, one of the uh, founders of the Black Panthers. And so I'm just trying to my best to, like, elevate the parts of black history that people don't want to talk about because it does not serve their political agenda um, and things like that. So, uh, So, yeah. What about you? That's what's up? How you celebrating? Um, I have been celebrating. I mean, this is kind of like some down the line sort of celebration. But one of the things I'm trying to organize, I'm trying to put together a little festival in Savannah, like a music festival, but have it be like a fundraiser for Stacey Abrams. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah, either either Stacey Abrams or something to do with uh, Georgia voting. One of the two things I'm just going to focus around. I know I know that's like, I'm planning it to be around like 420. Oh, that sounds but, dope. you know, planning it now, so it's technically my Black History Month celebration. You know who's not celebrating Black History Month? Joe Rogan. <laughs> he's not only been oh, disinvited man. from the cookout, like he's not even allowed <laughs> to eat barbecue. Wait, was Joe oh. Rogan ever really invited to the cookout? This whole, like, you know, I, I, the, when everything was going down, I, it was one of those rare occasions where I was on Twitter like to start my day and just was kind of vegging out on Twitter for most of the most of the night before and the day. So like I kind of saw 
all this shit happening in real time. And like, I, for real, like first it was the, okay, so for anybody who doesn't know, so Joe Rogan, one of the biggest podcasters in the world, he hosts a show called The Joe Rogan Experience back in 2020. It was, a, it was an independent podcast for years. Crazy millions of listeners and, and subscribers, all that whole thing. You At this point, I'm just assuming that everybody knows who Joe Rogan and what his podcast is, right? So a couple years ago, he gets a deal with Spotify for $100 million, which now makes him a mainstream corporate entity. I don't give a fuck what anybody says, but, um, you know, Joe Rogan's had, he's had problematic uh, instances in in. Uh, things on his show for a while but it's all kind of taken uh, head and come into public eye with his COVID disinformation that he spreads on his show and that led to this whole standoff with Spotify where Spotify standing by their hundred million dollar investment but you've got artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and others who are taking their music off the platform in effort to not be associated with the COVID misinformation but uh, SCAD graduate, Savannah College of Art and Design graduate, and Grammy Award-winning artist India Ari took to her Instagram to kind of point out something that I, uh, in particular, had been pointing out about Joe Rogan, just amongst my friends and stuff like that in personal conversation for years now, which is a lot of the racist, quasi-Nazi shit that goes on on the Joe Rogan podcast. It's dispersed enough that, you know, you could watch... 10 episodes in a row and not encounter it but when it's there it's there and it's there pretty strong and India Ari started off by running a montage of Joe Rogan using the n-word that was followed up by a joke that he told about going to a black neighborhood in Philly to see the movie Planet of the Apes and a commentary about how the all-black crowd was like the Planet of the Apes and so on and so forth Joe Rogan issued an apology um for all of the cries of cancel culture there's not really any cancellation going on spotify standing by him saying that silencing is not the way to handle it um but for the most part it's it's just illuminated this particular uh aspect of the joe rogan show for the general public for normies who weren't really paying attention whether they're supporters of his or detractors so um that is the situation as it stands like i said there's not really any consequence to be taken out of it except for his apology and that you know the opinions are now you know it, se it seems like the opinions are now solidly formed you know you've either got the people who are like oh i don't think that's a big deal or you've got the people who are like hey this is what i've been saying joe rogan's been on this shit for a long time and then you've got a bunch of regular people who are now either oh i didn't know joe rogan was like that fuck that guy or you know the, the opposite swing of that pendulum i didn't know joe rogan was like that awesome i'm with it oh, yeah. so what have, <laughs> so what have you been thinking of this whole thing the, whatever however much of it you've been consuming yeah i mean i've long been skeptical of joe rogan and like the joe rogan to like crypto fascist pipeline um sort of uh veiled in the fact that he does have many different kinds of people on his show um his platforming of folks like Stephen Molyneux, like, uh, fuck, even Elon Musk was just, like, not productive. Don't forget Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, and so... We only know of him because of Joe Rogan. It's interesting to me that this hadn't come, <clears throat> come out earlier. Like, you know, if people are watching his podcast religiously, and he has this, you know, million-strong fan base, how did no one 
bring up before now that there were 111 podcasts where he used a racial slur, <laughs> which I then think, well, yeah. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, no, that's all I'll say for right now. Well, I mean, um, okay, so one of the, the, the biggest reason why I think it's not even necessarily that people didn't notice, but he wasn't like mainstream then. As big and popular as his podcast was, I think having that Spotify corporate stamp, Fortune 500 stamp on it, it now makes all of that stuff, you know, um, an issue for him. Because beforehand, I mean, for example, the the video of him telling the Planet of the Apes joke, I saw that shit back in 2018, 2019. Surprisingly, do you know who put that out? Alex Jones was the one who first put that out See? when him and Joe Rogan See? were beefing. Alex Jones was like, all right, well, if me and Joe Rogan's not going to have me on his show, everybody thinks he's so cool. He's got a black daughter. And listen to what he says about black people. And then that happened in the summer of 2019, you know? And that's something like you see it and you, you know, hey, it was getting posted around, but it doesn't really matter because ultimately it's just this dude's podcast in his basement or in a spare room in his house that he's doing on his own. So there is no... When you don't have, like, when there's no corporate entity to pressure, you know, about it, then, I don't know, it, I think it, it can easily slip through the, the Right, the you, got, you gotta light. go after the money. You can't just criticize Joe Rogan for what he does. Anybody in the basement can do what he does. You, like, he has, he has the prominence that he does because he has the backing of Spotify, he has the backing of huge corporations, right? And so you gotta go after the money. And it makes me think of, like, with the Stop Cop City, um, struggle down here in Atlanta like when they weren't getting anywhere with the Atlanta City Council they started going for the people that were funding the Atlanta Police Foundation so um, Coca-Cola um, other organizations or even if you want to think about the voter suppression bill that um, passed in the state legislature here I guess sometime last year folks started going after Delta and all of these other corporations that were like oh Black Lives Matter or whatever and then you know bankrolling Republican campaigns to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars and so another thing it, rise, it raises for me is like how unfortunate it is, but necessary to like bring the receipts. Like everyone knew he was shitty for a long time. It took like a comprehensive compilation of all the reasons why. And like, here are the links for people to be like, I, you have a pretty strong case. I see that over and over again with like anecdotal evidence versus pulling like the actual receipts in a lot of organizing spaces where it's like people are telling you something's wrong, but until you find like the archival data where like, the segregationist senator was conspiring to destroy their neighborhood like that's when you find it like all right i guess i'll do something about it so that also strikes yeah. me as really funny about the circumstance that we're in well um you know we'll have to expand on this because it's it's uh it's opened up you know further conversation about um censorship and what is censorship versus what isn't should joe rogan be silenced should he be removed from the platform and I, I definitely do want to dive into this stuff. We, we also were supposed to talk about the um, NFL coaching situation, but I think we'll save that for another day, too. But I mean, I, I, the, you know, before we go into what we're talking about for the day, I do just want to touch on that one subject. It's just if the only thing that existed in this situation was the compilation of the N-word, I don't think it would be that big of a deal. And just like me to personally. The well, to the public. I mean, because here's the thing, right? Is like, he 
he gave an explanation for the n-word compilation in terms of like oh well this was me using it as a quote and i was using i was recalling it in the story don't and this don't and do that, that. So far, don't so far. do it now for me personally it's really not that complicated there's 23 n-words in there and he gave like three examples of him you know quoting it that it's like all right i'm gonna need to see like a detailed breakdown of like how each of these was a quote but besides the point if just for the benefit of the doubt all of those where he's quoting a story he's telling the story or something like that i mean it makes me still not like joe rogan but it makes me ultimately not really ca- like you know what i'm saying it's like oh yeah i wasn't listening to that fucking show anyway fuck it. you know what i'm saying yeah well but I think the aspects of like the jokes and then when you further do even deeper digging and you look into the type of people that he's platformed, that is, that's the aspect and the element of it to me that is like, all right, now this is still, you know, censor, remove, that's still like a subject for discussion. But that is the aspect of Joe Rogan that is like, oh no, this is serious now because like, you know you can you can say whatever shit you want i don't care it doesn't have to affect me i don't have to listen to it but if you're like luring people unsuspecting people in by like hey we're interviewing a mma guy a comedian a nuclear physicist a white supremacist you know what i mean and you're doing that cycle over and over again and i mean i've i've have people personally in my life who otherwise are like normal well-adjusted left-leaning people that have fallen down the joe rogan crypto fascist pipeline it's very easy it's not difficult at all well i think it and speaks to the fact that the left has to get better at its media game <laughs> Whoop. um like you know we need to we have to win the conversation we can't just say oh um like you, uh, I guess to a degree, like you shouldn't have these people on. Like I, like I don't think he should. But I think well, I'd rather than like censor him, I think we just need to do a better job of convincing people and creating our own pipeline to like liberatory true. ideas. Because otherwise, if this true, is all we have, if like all you have is Joe Rogan as like a huge name in podcasting, like that's a partially our failure. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. But it, it's not even. You know, just personally, I don't know what anybody else thinks. For me, it's not even the platforming. Like, people that I check out, like Vosh, who's a YouTuber, YouTube, Twitch, political streamer, or um, even, what is homie's name who got fired from CNN? It's Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo. One of the Cuomo's. No, 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 no. Um, black dude. He was a commentator. He oh, got Mark fired Lamont from the Israel. Mark Lamont Hill. Mark Lamont Hill. On his... Uh, channel he he's always talking to right wingers and like these fringe like you know quasi alt-right figures who are spewing their shit the difference is how you go about it if mark lamont hill sits across from somebody and the person says hey you know black people have an intrinsic violent gene that makes them more violent than the other races he's not gonna say huh that's interesting he's not gonna go oh dude really dude bro is that word dude like that you know that's not gonna vosh is going to like push back like there's ways that you can do it where it becomes a straw man to be like, oh, you want to silence. You don't want people to be platformed. You're afraid of discussion. You're afraid of debate. And it's like, no, motherfucker. It's also debate. about how you engage with them. Yeah. If you're yeah, engaging like you, critically. You or... actually have to engage. Right. Like, like, like for people to want for, for the Joe Rogan stands out there, a lot of whom are straight up Nazis. And a lot of whom are just like people who don't give a fuck about issues like this and stuff like that. But if they if they don't want people to jump to the conclusion of 
yo, I heard Joe Rogan said this, so I think this about him and everything that he is. Then, you know, it w- probably would have behooved Joe Rogan over these years if, like, he could counter with clips of him passionately going back at, like, some of these guests that he has has on his show. Because he shouldn't be interacting with Milo Yiannopoulos the same way as he does with Cornell West. If yeah. I'm supposed to think that he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> or know? even just, but, yeah, this, like, engaging critically with both of them. Like, instead of just being like, huh, that's interesting. Oh, black people's skulls are, like, concave, yeah, and that causes really? us to co- commit genocide. Oh, yeah, whatever, commit genocide. But that's not racist. I, I supported Bernie. I supported I Bernie. Supported, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, you like, said you on. might vote for him once, whatever. The other thing I want to bring up about Joe Rogan, and, like, I like to be hyperbolic sometimes because it's more entertaining. Um, uh, like, there's a level of, like, almost stochastic terrorism that comes with uh, COVID misinformation. Um, and so, like, just a couple days ago, January 28th, um, a big fan of his and friend who was, you know, talking about his show all the time on his Instagram, um, comedian Christian Cabrera, um, died of COVID, you know, and we often talked in conjunction with, you know, loving Joe Rogan about, like, vaccine hesitancy and um, also, you know, spread a lot of Joe Rogan's vaccine misinformation. And now this person's dead. And so, like, he's a famous person. You know, he's a comedian. But how many other people who watched his show also were like, hmm, maybe that is sketchy and, like, are dead now? We don't know. We don't I have don't, those numbers. Whether you want to call that murder or whatever whatever i don't think that it's even debatable that that has happened no it's not even debatable it's just like there's yeah, no, like there's no way to know the impacts yeah negatively um, in a very literal concrete way but um we have we a great gone on about joe rogan for a while so why don't we talk about like white people that don't suck so yeah this week we had the honor to interview joan and loki Mulholland. um joan um, was a freedom writer um, whose mugshot was called one of the most iconic in American history. Um, she, um, at the age of 23, had participated in over 50 set-ins and demonstrations like the Freedom Rides, the Jackson Woolworth set-in, the March on Washington, and um, you know knew some of the biggest names in the civil rights movement from Medgar Evers, uh, Medgar Evers, Fannie Lou Hamer, John Lewis, Julian Bond, and so we'll be speaking with her as well as her son, her son um, Loki, Loki who, who's uh, recently made a um, documentary about her called An Ordinary Hero. Yeah, and he's the executive director of the Joan Mulholland uh, Foundation. Um, has actually directed um, several documentaries and um, wrote a book. She stood for freedom, um, which was nominated for awards. So they're both very involved in, to this day, in civil rights struggle in their own different ways. And this somewhat dovetails what we were talking about with regards to art and the role of, you know, shaping the political discourse in the sense that like Joe Rogan's over here, he's got his podcast, which itself is a form of media that is shaping the political discourse. And um, Loki, especially as a filmmaker, is doing the same with his work. And we have a lot of discussion in the interview about the role of arts in movement making. So without further ado, let's get on into it. We'll be right back with that after the jump. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. 
We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So today, I am super honored to be joined by Joan and Loki Muholland. I will let them introduce themselves in their own words because the breadth of experience they bring with them is kind of impressive. It's sort of like, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot going on there. But yeah, whoever would like to start, tell us a little bit about yourselves and what y'all do. Go on, boy. I was going to say ladies first, but <laughs> all right. Uh, well, my name is Loki Mulholland. Um, you know, I'm Joan's son. Um, I'm a filmmaker, activist, author, and uh, yeah. We see you represent <laughs> over there, yeah. Joan Mulholland, I'm Loki's mama, and Loki was after the Norse god of mischief, Thor's sidekick, and he's lived up to it. <laughs> um, I'm a Delta. I got into a lot of good trouble back in the day. And- mm-hmm. You know, freedom rider and all that sort of stuff. Good job. Yeah, you uh, you knew a lot of folks that people may recognize when you know we are studying the history of the civil rights movement. Mister um, Evers, Benny Lou Hamer, play, people like that. It's Benny Lou Hamer. Hamer. Oh my God, have I been saying that around my whole life? 
See, this yeah. is why we need better civics and black history education in the schools. Because growing yeah, up, I, I've taught myself most, well, I feel like most of what I know as an adult, like, you know, reading online, reading books, et cetera, because they don't really teach you what you need to know in school, unfortunately. Oh, what I learned was that, you know, the slaves were happy and the slave masters were kind. Yeah, I actually have a friend who's a professor at um, a university in Hartford who studies how even back to like, slavery texts from like ancient Greece, the way that like the happy slave narrative was even a thing then. And mm. like how that then, you know, factors into the way people sometimes use classics like in white supremacist movements to say like, oh, the purity of the Western tradition. But yeah, like, mm. unless you unless you really teach yourself, um, you can, yeah, get stuck with some of these. Oh, that's interesting. You know, back to the ancient Greeks, because when we had um, standardized testing, I think it's pretty much out now in Virginia, but one of the questions for the kids is what are, what did we get from the Greeks? And you mm -hmm. were supposed to say, you know, democracy, voting rights, stuff like that. I said, no, 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 that's, that's wrong. We got voting rights for free property owning white men. Precisely. We got some highways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe some like column shapes, you know, like <laughs> some art. But yeah, we're still trying to get voting rights today. You know what I'm saying? So, um, well, I'm really, really excited to have y'all here today. Particularly, I'm super interested in the way that movement work manifests in the, the various different kinds of things you do. And also, we've got two generations of people here um, who are doing the good work. Um, and I think that like the idea of intergenerational, like, liberation movement struggle is not one we talk about enough like they got the young kids out here like the sunrise movement or etc and then we study you know civil rights history um as if it you know it happened long ago and like we don't need to be marching um anymore uh, things like that so um how do you see your work from two different generations overlapping or diverging at certain points well, I say my generation got rid of the segregation laws, mm -hmm. but the underlying racism is still there, and that's mm -hmm. what you know, folks need to work on now. Um, we marched, we sat in, we went to jail, um, you know, things like that. We could sing real good, except for me, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> Back in Jackson, Mississippi, the joke, we had a little joke in the movement that if the police were marching on us, they'd just push Joan to the front and she would sing loudly right in their face and they would back off. Because I sing that bad. <laughs> oh, but, what is that? Yeah, yeah. Come for backup. Thing, you know, but, um, Are you a singer too on top of everything, Loki? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play guitar and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, he's on. <laughs> I'm a Renaissance man. <laughs> well, maybe we'll come back to the question about like, generational differences because we kind of starting to talk about art and that's something that I don't understand I don't know a lot about from my studying of like civil rights and like other liberation movements is like what the role of art was during that era Loki you, you know brilliant filmmaker and as I as a hip-hop artist see the potential for use of that um, to spread stories that bring people into the movement educate people etc um, but Joan, like what, what role did like music and film and art and stuff like that play in, in your time? Well, film wasn't a big deal except, mm -hmm. you know, watching the evening news on TV mm -hmm. and um, 
Singing, that was the backbone of the movement. That is what gave us strength and courage to keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, you know, songs that were sort of adapted from the church songs. And it's, it's it sounded, if you weren't listening to the words, like you were in church. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we had these Yankees coming down and, you know, they were good people, but they sang like they were on a picket line, a mm-hmm. union picket line. Yeah, which side are you on? They didn't know how to sing. Mm-hmm. And um, art, well, you needed art for posters and picket signs and things like that. So that was sort of where it was at. And so um, Loki today, working in film and, yeah. you know, a variety of media, honestly. Um, what do you see as the role of art in movement making today? Well, I mean, and, and I want to kind of um, echo what my mom says, but roll back a little bit further, because obviously sure. art was used even um, during the time of slavery. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The songs were used to give directions on how to get north. Uh, mm-hmm. Artistry that went into quilts. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, literature was a key component in man. Right. The, oh gosh, and the abolitionist movement. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, so th- those sort of things, and it continued. I mean, obviously, during my mom's time, I mean, film was used as well. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, a lot of times that was used, the documentary, it's not like it is today where we have so much more access to that. It was more underground. Um, but uh, that was that burgeoning movement of, of art to, to really kind of push forward these ideals um, and, these, and these alternative narratives to the prescribed history that was taught in our textbooks. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing today as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we continue to see, obviously, um, you know, during the 80s and 90s in particular, you know, with Public Enemy, NWA, yeah, and so yeah. forth. I mean, all of that. Um, those scenes were just these narratives that people hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, when I say people, I mean white American. People that control the media, pretty much, yeah. Um, the photographers with the press, mm-hmm. they were powerful. I say, you take it to the lunch counter, the lawyers take it to the court, but the press takes it to the world. And when things would start flying, the press was in every bit as much danger as the demonstrators, and sometimes they were the first ones attacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the picture of the Jackson Woolworth um, sit-in, which I'm sure you've seen where I'm having sugar dumped on my head, as I like to say, like I wasn't sweet enough already. <laughs> but um, that went worldwide. It was colorized. Color was added to the black and white. They didn't have color photography in the press then, but in the Paris match, front page above the centerfold, the most powerful place in the newspaper. And this was the most powerful newspaper in Europe. It was like the New York Times. So that, you know, went. And when I was in South Africa um, a few years ago, thinking of the music, um, down in Cape Town, a bunch of us ladies went to um, a school for a morning of volunteer work. And I ended up, since I used to work in the schools up here, um, well, it's up from Georgia, you know, it's still Mm -hmm. down south in Arlington. Yeah. Harvard Lee's hometown. But um, we told the students what we had, what we did back in the States. We had Q&A and then we had our closing statement. And I said, Back in the days of our civil rights movement, we had a song, We Shall Overcome. Mm -hmm. Now, my intention was to say, whatever difficulty you're facing in life, tell yourself those three words and things will get better. 
No, I got cut right off by the school teacher. This is a room packed with fourth graders. And he said, oh, we sang that song in our apartheid demonstrations. Class, let's all sing it together. So there I was over 50 years since our civil rights, you know, student civil rights movement singing, We Shall Overcome in Cape Town, South Africa in a room packed with fourth or fifth graders. And it just about brought me to tears. So it traveled. Yeah, and so I, I, I think about that. I think about, as I was saying previously, about Public Enemy, NWA, I mean, Spike Lee, yeah. I mean, those works and these messages that were put forth that uh, white America hadn't heard and didn't, really didn't understand or want to understand. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and, 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 I mean, it was almost, it's like a canary in the mind sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, I mean, all of that has come to pass and then some. Yeah, and yeah. Today, now what's, uh, you know, the, the, when my mom was talking about the press and the cameras and stuff, obviously the quickest way to censor that was just bash a camera and rip out the film. Which yeah. they did. Which they mm-hmm. did. And, and today we have, you know, those those other techniques now of, of, of blocking channels on, um, or, or streams on social media and so forth mm-hmm. and saying, you know, this, this content is offensive or whatever else and being these filters now. Um, Oh, they did that with the evening news and Jackson. Yeah, mm. yeah that's they right. Technical difficulties. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Like ever speech. Um, and I just think about like you know these these new opportunities that exist like TikTok and so forth. That's yeah. That is a very quick way to get the message across and and how people are learning. Yeah. No, I mean there's still space for longer formats and so forth, and obviously the tools that are there to share those messages. Probably part of the pitfall of that is so much disinformation that gets out there. Um, mm-hmm. The lack of research, the lack of study, the lack of understanding and context and so forth. So there's, and then obviously the, the immediate feedback that you get from people who, and the bombing, you know, the trolling and so forth that takes place. Oh yeah. Media to just kind of discredit and take people down rabbit holes away from the core message. I, I Someone, I, I did a post just the other day about um, Amir Locke, mm-hmm. how it took nine seconds, and someone said, "Well, it's actually uh, six seconds because he was wait for three of them." I'm like, okay, really? oh, okay, right, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. The way people parse is, details to delegitimize, like, right, very real things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we used humor also in the movement. If your mama ever told you not to drink coffee because it would turn you black, you know, back in back in the days before black was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I am living proof that it ain't so. Mama probably just wanted all that coffee for herself. For herself, yeah. She could have probably used some of that sugar they dumped on you, though. So, you know, sweeten it up a little bit. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> but I think you started to get into my next question, Loki. It's about, um, I mean, we've spoken really to two parts of it. I'm really interested in the way you sort of described the long history of the arts in various movements, highlighting the way that even the abolitionist movement for the abolition of slavery, you know, literature and songs were so critical. Um, And so I'm curious, you know, sticking to this theme of intergenerational struggle, um, what parts do you see yourself carrying forward from previous movements having been very, um, I guess, enmeshed in its history growing up with Joan? And what sorts of new things? I mean, you mentioned TikTok already, but what are some of the differences that you try to lean into in your modern day work? Um, 
Well, not so much differences. For me, it's, um, you know, I, I've, I've been asked repeatedly, would I have sat at the lunch counter? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I would have. Yeah. But I don't have to because my mother already did. It's kind yeah. of easy. Yeah. Those different, there's like things like that. Yeah. 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 And, and it really, it's, we all have a role to play. Not everyone could sit at the lunch counters. Not mm-hmm. everyone had a disposition. Uh, there was threats for on families. You know, they could lose their tuition, all these different jobs or houses be bombed and whatever else. Um, and, and some people, you know, this, they, they just weren't at that place at that time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so they found other ways to contribute. Um, so I use the gifts that I've been given mm-hmm. to, you know, move that work forward, move that message forward and to highlight the history. At the end of the day, um, whether we're going to go back to abolitionists or civil rights movement or, or any sort of movement, it really comes down to that one on one opportunity of seeing those individuals seeing those people sitting at the lunch counter, that you have to actually confront it. It's right there in front of you that you just can't replicate in a film or, or you know, in a photograph or anything or, literature. or a rap song. Yeah. Yeah. It, or a rap song. It, it just becomes those, the art becomes a way to motivate people, um, you, know, you know, to inspire, to inform, but mm-hmm. really it's to do all that, to get you down to those lunch counters on the buses or in the streets, carrying the signs and putting forth that message to move things forward. And signing a petition online is not, you know, really bringing about a big change. It's just making you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had a, I posted a TikTok earlier about getting off Twitter and like getting in the streets, whether that's knocking on your neighbor's doors or marching or going to City Hall, whatever you got to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of everyone having their role to play. That kind of makes me rethink my question in that a lot of the things we need to do are the same and that like certain people put their bodies online, certain people are documenting it. It's really about folks finding the intersection of their passion and what the gifts they're given with the tools that are available at the time. So now we do have TikTok and Instagram to like make sure those images of protests are circulated. Yeah. Um, So it's the same kind of project, just new tools. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, we're in a capitalist society. Money makes the world turn. I mean, you had mm-hmm. people um, beyond the Harry Belafontes of the world. You had uh, actually white women whose husbands were probably either in the Klan or in the White Citizens Council in Jackson who were giving money to the maids, to the help, right? Mm-hmm. To give back to Medgar Evers' office. They knew they couldn't give it directly, so they would sneak it in. And this is this is known. There was a gentleman's great story. He, um, his gift was robbing jewelry stores. Hey, whatever, yeah, yo, that's what you got? He, he would time out the train and how long it would take the police to get to the jewelry store, rob the store, hop the train, go to the next town, sell the goods, do it, rinse and repeat. And that money went back to the NAACP. Now they had no idea where it was coming from. I didn't uh-huh. know that. I'm sure if they did, they might be yeah. like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's amazing. But yeah, I mean, hey, you, you use the gifts you've been given. <laughs> Sure do. <laughs> Not endorsing gotta, breaking into stores and selling the goods for money, but yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. I could use being white to the advantage of the movement. Mm-hmm. I could um, blend into the crowd and be an observer of what was happening. I could, at Glen Echo Amusement Park, um, just over in Maryland, I could go in and buy tickets. I knew where to buy me to have a ticket for each ride you got on. Ticket in hand 
And I could go back out and hand them out to the Howard students who hopped on the merry-go-round, ticket in hand, and got arrested. What were the passes that you gave to Medgar? When I was a Tougaloo student, I went up to the state legislature and got a handful of passes to you know, sit in the galleries and watch the legislature debate things. Went back, gave those to Medgar, and he handed them out to the most prominent black ministers he, he could find. And they got arrested, gallery pass in hand. Mm. And the, the, by the next day, the law had changed. You had to personally get your pass from your representative. But there were a number of times just being white could be used to the advantage of the movement. So you got to use what you got. Yeah, yeah. And I think people are still waking up to that today. I'm thinking about how, I mean, broadly, people say use your privilege, et cetera, but right. the specific ways where it's like, use, yeah, use, use your whiteness to like get into those spaces where others can't um, and things like that. Um, Joan, I had one question for you. So we talked a little bit about what Loki takes from movements before, but I was wondering if there's anything that young movement makers are doing today that you find interesting or inspiring. Well, I find that complete diversity mm-hmm of the crowds and the marches, to say nothing of the size of the crowds and the marches. But I think you've got a much, you know, like a no majority massive demonstration. Um, We didn't have that. We had just a handful of white or Hispanic or Asian folks in our activities and marches. Um, Well, we didn't have so many marches because you'd all get arrested. Um, before you got down the block. Before you got there, yeah. And the police are even joining the the marchers and protesters, Mm, holding hands with them, kneeling to pray with them. Mm -hmm. It just blows my mind. Um, That makes me think as well about, so talking about like then and now, then and now. So at the time, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joan, it seemed like a lot of folks that took part in the civil rights movement were somewhat demonized. I saw recently a comic from I think the Birmingham News where they were painting MLK as um, starting riots, even though nonviolence was the core of the movement. And then yet today, the same people that are disrupting modern movements, sending the National Guard in when folks are marching and tear gassing folks are heralding um, civil rights movement leaders at the same time. And so I was wondering what you both make of trends like that, where you see a, a sort of contradiction in the way folks um, treat both historic and modern civil rights movements. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, immediately comes to mind is someone like Ted Cruz, who in one breath will praise, you know, quote Dr. King at his convenience and then say that appointing, a, you know, even the idea of appointing a black woman is a, an affront to an insult to black women mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and equality, mm-hmm. which is just absurd to begin with, like he cares. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, Dr. King, when he when he was killed, 70 percent of white America, well, you know, didn't like him if you looked at the polls and stuff. But now, right. you know, it's it's weaponizing Dr. King to push forward, uh, you know, these agendas of like, you know, anti-CRT, which right. CRT, of course, is not taught, taught in school. Which is not even a thing. Yeah. So it's a whole thing to roll back, you know, the narrative that they feel uncomfortable with. Um, but then, and, and quite frankly, don't even understand. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating thing um, to, to even contemplate. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, that's that's where it's so vital for the rest of us to be informed. And yeah. and I've, when I have people who quote Dr. King like that, I'm like, hey, yes, that's wonderful. What about the rest of his speech? Yeah. Do you remember you know, any that, words after the first seven? <laughs> you know. Well, do you know the words that he said before that? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everything before that was about reparations. I mean, let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, a federal job guarantee. Let's talk about right. uh, the evils of capitalism and militarism. <laughs> Nobody wants yeah. to get into that. But Joan, from your perspective, having lived through that and seeing the way that people treat it today, what is that like for you? Um, aside from comical, <laughs> um, they want to idealize what we did. Mm-hmm. And we were not perfect. We made mistakes. Um, there are things we could have done better and um, all that, but um, they want to use us as, you know, that we did it all and they don't need to do anything and they need to look deeper. I mean, like I say, we took care of the laws for segregation, but there is so much more, the racism behind and then the forms that the racism takes, um, Mm -hmm. housing, yeah. Um, whose neighborhood does the interstate tear up? Where does the school money go? Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, the, some schools get hand-me-downs anymore, like it used to be. But certainly, um, they say, you know, I'm in Arlington, and they say South Arlington gets the least, and North Arlington gets the most, because the rich folks live there and the power base. But um, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be that way discrimination against people because of their first language, mm-hmm. um, their ethnic origins, their uh, religion, all that stuff. I was impressed a few years ago when the anti-Muslim thing got going, that college kids, girls in some places were walking around with their classmates wearing hijabs, just mm-hmm. like their classmates were. But there are lots of ways to show solidarity. Mm-hmm. There's lots more forms of discrimination that we now recognize. Yeah, and part of that comes to mind as well is, is, is how we, you know, so part of it is like Dr. King was a commie, right? All that sort of stuff. All that stuff, yeah. Just like the Washington football team will now be hail to the commie. Yeah. And I didn't think about that. I love that though. It's funny. But, um, you know, so so th- th- those, same, those same terms are thrown around. They don't even know what they mean. But... Um, I think what's really fascinating is there's part of this element of the civil rights movement's kind of safe to talk about. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't talk about why it happened, of course. But there's this, you know, this sort of glorification, if you will, of, you know, there's the Freedom Riders and the sit-ins and all this, you know, John Lewis on the Edmund Pettus Bridge and Dr. King, I Had a Dream, all that sort of stuff. Because it means, hey, problem solved. And I actually did a TikTok video on this recently, just talking about you know what scares um, white America about teaching history is that it's their it, it's it's their own history, because right. at my age, when I was in elementary school, Dr. King had only been killed, you know, 16 years earlier or so. Mm-hmm. World War II had only ended about 40 years earlier. Mm-hmm. So um, if you if you take today and roll back that same time period, 40 years ago. You know, 40 years ago, uh, you know, the, the Philadelphia Police Department was bombing their own city. Right. And, and so few people know about that still. Okay. Look, you're years. off in your math. World War II ended 45 and you were in 
elementary school in the um, late mid to late seventies. Right, I was in elementary school in the eighties, Mom. I was ten years old in nineteen eighty. Okay, well that's still not forty years. Oh, okay, Mother. Nonetheless, World War II was raging forty years earlier. Let me put it uh-huh. that. Yeah, that's that's safe. Mom, you bath is your worst subject, and you're trying to school me on it, Mother. <laughs> um, but if you go back 30, 31 years ago, Rodney King was beaten. Twenty-four right. years ago, you know James Byrd was was lynched. Mm-hmm. You know, Jasper, Texas, right? Dragged behind a pickup truck, chained by his feet till his body fell apart. Ten years ago was Trayvon. Yeah. These were the things. This that's the type, same type of stuff they would have been teaching us back then if they were even going to teach that. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to teach it. But so if you take a look at that time frame, that's what really scares them because they were alive during that. They understand that. And they and it's like wow, that happened on our watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do. Yeah, and and um, the history of racism is so it's, it's taught as black history. When it's really white oh, history in that there's a lot of white people that were doing it as well. Was- folks like Joan that were out there marching with people. It was like a shared struggle for some folks. But, but I mean, CRT is just straight out and out U.S. history. It's just U.S. history. Yeah. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're gonna love listening to it and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was very I was very interested in something you said, Joan, about how you all made mistakes. There's things that you would have done differently. And that's certainly not a piece of history that they teach people in the in the way that they idealize the struggle at the time. Well, Levon Brown mom talks about that. It might jog your memory a little bit, but um, when there was that schism in SNCC, in the SNCC leadership between John. Well, that was and, after my. You know, I think I think the the, the thing that I. I kind of focus on at times about the civil rights movement is is we kind of forget you know we 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 focus on these key singular moments the Greensboro sit-in and the freedom rise and this that and this um, but you know and assume that one thing took care of everything mm-hmm. and that you know we can condense these things down to just a couple of days here and there and poof everything solved I mean Greensboro did not fix Jackson Greensboro fixed Greensboro right Jackson fixed Jackson. Right. Right. We all need to work within the space and you know, where we live. You know, as my mom would say, you know, that's the hippie say, you know, bloom where you're planted. Right. 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 Um, we tell kids, don't try to change the world, change your world, whatever mm-hmm. that might be. And yeah. for my mom, it was the South. Right. She mm-hmm. wanted to make the South the best. I thing. didn't care about them Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Let them fix their own stuff. They yeah. got their own different but, problems that they'll tackle. Well, hey, well, you know, Malcolm X was working on that. Right. So, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really appreciate you raising that because I think I speak to like middle schools, high schools all the time. Right. And I've been thinking a lot about how this like civil rights history is, is kind of painted for a lot of kids, like something that happened somewhere else as part of the way where they are trying to discourage people from like carrying those struggles forward. It's like, oh, they were marching. Yeah, they're marching on Washington. They're marching down in Mississippi. I was like, no, they were marching in Athens, Georgia. Like we oh, yeah. had our own movement here. You had they don't want you to riot. know about because you we might had a riot going. there. In Athens? Oh, yeah. At the university. Wait, oh, wait, you went when it integrated? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, yes, I do recall that. They don't teach you about that. That inspired me to um, go to Tougaloo, that Mm. watching that so close to where my family was from, Nicholson, that if integration was real, I was thinking it's got to be a two-way street. Maybe I should apply to a colored school, that being the polite term then. Mm -hmm. And um, I talked it over with my friends, you know, the leadership of SNCC, and they thought it was a good idea. And somebody said, well, if you're going to do it, you may as well go to Mississippi. Those students haven't done anything yet, meaning demonstrations. Maybe you can help them. And um, so I applied to Tougaloo since it was the only nationally accredited school that colored students could go to. Sorry about that phone. I don't know how to mute it. It's all good. I got a baby yodel in the background. We got phones. It's all, but, it's, um, a, it's, an, it's an orchestra. And I was accepted at Tougaloo, even though my high school up here refused very pointedly without spelling it out to send my transcripts. Huh. But they still accepted me. They said, oh, well, we'll take you on your Duke University transcripts. I'd gone there for one year and we parted company when I wanted to go back to school. That was right after the riots. That is such an interesting idea that I don't think people embrace enough that like integration does have to be a two-way street. 
Um, it's not just about like advancing, you know, getting people of color in positions of power and into these white spaces. It's also like I got this one friend, this like white dude who like shows up at like all of these like all black events that are just they just happen to be in black communities. But he's out there doing the work of meeting people, of helping people, of talking to folks. Um, but so many people are scared to do that because there is that lingering racism. Like even if you try to be an anti-racist, it's like, oh, if I show up like people will laugh at me or I won't, you know, I don't want to understand, et cetera. But that's a really important thing for us to remember as well. So. And there are lots of different ways to make a difference. I mean, I was sitting in and all that, then I had a family and that really, I had to take care of the kids, but at their elementary school, I made a difference. Um, I particularly want to, in, in a number of different ways, but the music teacher, who lived a couple blocks from me, wanted a, a good song to teach for, um, I think it was, you know, Black History Month. And I said, well, lift every voice and sing. She go. had not a clue, but she looked it up. She wanted to teach it to something to teach to the um, chorus to sing it at um, our big international dinner. Mm -hmm. She ended up teaching that song to every kid in the school. And they sang it at the international dinner with the chorus standing on the stage, but every kid, you know, singing. Probably the first, I'm, you know, 99.9% .9 sure it's the first formerly all white school in the county, if not the state, for all the kids to learn, lift every voice and sing. But there were a number of other things too, but the biggest deal in my book. It's not just like study, again, like the big events, studying, you know, what happened in Greensboro. It's also just knowing about cultural artifacts from our communities, like taking the time to learn a very important song to us yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I go took for care it. of, they had all these white doll babies and shoulders mm -hmm. sounds kindergarten class and it was the girls corner and the boys corner well i took care of the doll babies by making a bunch of cloth dolls out of different skin tone scraps mm -hmm. i had and interchangeable clothes and those white plastic doll babies disappeared and then i said well now my son he's going to be upset by you calling that the girls corner because he likes he wanted an ironing board small ironing board for Christmas. Yeah. And he's not gonna be happy about you saying that's a girl thing. Well, it quickly changed to the housekeeping corner and the workshop corner. When I, the school I was working in, I would go in with the second grade classes every year and read books about um, segregation, Dr. King, and the American South. I mean, that's where they would place picture books to the second graders and alternate those with um, South Africa, apartheid, mm -hmm. and Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. And I have had now decades later, adults walk up to me and remind me they remembered when I taught them all that in class. So I think I made a difference in my small ways. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I really appreciate y'all sh sharing so much history I didn't know about and reframing the history that I knew. But I'd also love to ask y'all about what you're working on these days. So um, let's start with you, Loki. What's, what are you getting into these days? Oh gosh, what am I working on right now? What aren't you doing these days? <laughs> uh, you know, I've discovered TikTok after a while. Um, been working on that, <laughs> sharing a lot of content there. Um, you know, and- and, you know, Outing your mama. 
Yeah, more of my mom's stories, kind of stuff you don't hear about in the. Uh, yeah, that's so cool. I love it. Yeah. Cool. And then trying to interject a few little things that I have as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, we finished shooting a film, a little short documentary um, about a gentleman who uh, every day he goes, he's 92 years old, and every day he goes to the Evan Pettis Bridge to pray for the state trooper that beat him on Bloody Sunday. Um, I'm working on a, a whole uh, diversity, equity, inclusion training modules, uh, you know, that will be a whole online platform for awesome. that that incorporates my mom's story and, and the various films you know, that I've done and, and using those as kind of a training tools as well. Um, you know, working on an Emmett Till film that's mm-hmm. been a, a long process that continues, you know, that just got kind of kiboshed with the uh, with the uh, COVID and so forth, yeah. we're starting to, you know, okay, let's start, let's go back and reevaluate that a little more. And mm-hmm. then uh, another, uh, you know, working on another season of our uh, Uncomfortable Truth podcast. So we're getting cool. ramped up for that. So yeah, just, you know, the usual. The usual, <laughs> you know, the usual. <laughs> well, that's all really exciting. And what about you, John? What you, what irons you got in the fire these days? Well, I can't march anymore because my knees have given out, but, um, I can run my mouth pretty yes, good. Yes, yes, so I, I love I do a that. lot of public speaking. Um, the Deltas had me out to Memphis, the alumni chapter, and I was talking out there, and I just um, was talking at a Hampton-Sydney University and um, with Loki along with me on this and showing video clips in um, Farmville, Virginia, which was crucial to getting the schools integrated in Virginia. It even went into Brown versus Board, mm-hmm. Moton High School. And um, I speak in local elementary schools, and, mm-hmm. you know, colleges, and anybody that invites me. And if I got a transportation issues, they got to pay for my transportation, put me up and feed me somewhere, private home, five-star hotel, either way. Yeah, running my mouth is my main thing now. I love that. I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. As long as the brain cells still work and the sun will <laughs> yeah. cut me off when they don't. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, um, any closing words of hope for our listeners? Y'all have been at it for a minute, creating beautiful art and sharing beautiful stories to you know keep this movement alive. But what's one last thing you'd like people to know as they as we part ways um, to give them get some out there and the do something. Get out there. Yeah, I feel that. Things, things do get better. Uh, people didn't believe slavery would end, but That's it right. did. I believe Jim Crow was gonna end, mm-hmm. but it did. Um, but it, it ended because, you know, like to echo the words of Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, they were sick and tired of being sick and tired. Period. And so we, uh, we, we gotta keep pressing forward because uh, the other side's not tired. Um, but yeah, how do people keep in touch with your work, find your work, um, you know, continue to learn from you all? Um, obviously, you know, like I said before, we're on, we're on TikTok. So Loki Mall Holland is the, was it, is it a page? Is it a channel? What do they call it? I'm really new to TikTok oh, also. So yeah, I think a page, I don't, I don't know. Wait, it's fire, Loki fire Mall. content. Please go check it out. Yes. Yeah, we, you know, we're on Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff. Um, you have a foundation with yeah. mama's name on it. Yep. I was getting there, mom. <laughs> so if you go to our, you know, our website, www.thejtmfoundation.org. Um, don't know why I put the www in the beginning of that. That shows how old I am now. 
Um, yeah, I mean, so thejtmfoundation.org. Um, and that's where we have uh, we have scholarship programs there that we're doing. We've got uh, obviously our films. People can contribute. Please go check out thejtmfoundation.org to learn more. Follow Loki on TikTok and Instagram at Loki Mohammed at Loki Mulholland and keep up the fight. You know, they've been out here doing it for a minute, creating beautiful art and beautiful stories, but we're going to make our own new stories uh, carrying forward the fight. But yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, yo. Hey. We are back. That was Joan Mulholland and her son, Loki. That was quite a robust conversation y'all had there. Yeah, I tried not to get into, like, specifics, like, what was it like to meet Medgar Evers, but still <laughs> kind of, like, understand more 
of just like what lessons can be drawn from the work mm-hmm. that they have done. And so I hope that's been helpful to everybody listening and thinking about your own role in movements, the work that is still left to be done, etc. I definitely feel like I got a lot of that. No, you definitely did. Definitely did. And y'all make sure that y'all check out that documentary so you can get a more robust picture of her full biography and the things that she did. Well, I do. Oh, you know what? We got to throw out a congratulations, Mariah. Our homie, the person who you've never heard, who spins us the beats, Joel. Joel! Brought a new bundle of joy Yay. into the world. Dad stat is now dad stat times two. <laughs> uh, congratulations, so, Joel. Congrats, congrats. He's not going to hear this because he's probably like knee deep in dirty diapers right now, but... Who's taking over? I think it's Taylor taking over yeah, his Yeah, shout spot out to Tay Tay for uh, Hey, Taylor, you know, we, we know you're new to this, Taylor, but we we got a rap to close us out, so can you can you pick through one of those instrumentals of mine and, and play us something? Yeah. Uh-huh. Wait, now reparation. Pick it in and sitting in they bodies on the line. Get in jail and get in fine. Demand the human rights at the time they demonize. But now they get in shine. No surprise, they sanitize the fight. The fascists on the rise, acting like they would have stood up. But really, they would have stood up a wooden cross and burning like some Buddha. Terrorizing the neighborhood with their hoods up. They really shook, bro. Watching all the people as they mobilize. Looking back at MLK like I know that guy. They don't even know to have. Motherfuckers, I know you whack. When the revolution's over, exploding like a Nova I just took a ride to Kroger, nobody pulled me over I got blunts on sight, and ain't nobody sober Yo, my name's Dope Knife, my mama call me Toga Go and smoke up, it's all legal, we all regal All ball, no such thing as small people Gun sticks, pots and pans, we fought evil Now we got plots of land, 4-0 Told you not to dream, said it's all in your head They told you not to lead, said to follow instead Now you can get a good job, keeping all of your dreads And we can party without caring, go and call the feds Everybody dapping, no one having a fuss Came a long damn way from the back of the bus And we let in the white folks that we happen to trust And everybody else can come but as black as a fuck Yeah We waiting on reparations Ooh, Ooh. My name's Dope Knife I'm Lingua Franca And we are waiting on reparations Peace Listen to Waiting on Reparations on Apple Podcasts Or wherever you get your podcasts The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.